Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast. We created this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff available to read, but we're all really busy. Now, the phrase, every teacher is a teacher of SEND, is currently an ideal. It's not a reality. And we created the Sendcast to try and help solve that problem, to make schools more inclusive, to help teachers be teachers of SEND. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to schools and parents. We're giving that consistent support to students. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest on that I've invited to talk about a topic they specialise in or they are passionate about. And this week we're discussing supporting pupils with dyslexia and other needs using the Science Literacy Toolkit. And we're discussing this with my guest, Dr. Susie Nyman. Now, Susie teaches a range of students in a post-16 environment. She uses multi-sensory teaching strategies to cover complex topics to make sure her students are understanding that topic. Now, before we get started, I'd like to remind you about us here at B-Squared. Over the last 25 years, we've supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment products are used in over 10,000 schools around the world to help show those small steps of progress, with around 1,500 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system, EverSense, helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. And our online CPD platform, Training for Education, started two years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. And of course, B-Squared make this podcast. If you want to find out more about B-Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, www.bsquared.co.uk. There is lots of information available and you can book an online meeting to find out how we can support you. Or if you prefer, you can drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing Susie's Science Literacy Toolkit and how to support people with dyslexia. Joining me today is Dr. Susie Nyman and Percy Pig. Uh, Susie is the Curriculum Manager at the Sixth Form College, Farnborough. She is passionate about discovering how children learn and supporting them in ways which enable them to succeed. She has provided training to PGC students at King's University and a number of local schools and colleges on teaching strategies. She also delivers talks on multi-century techniques around the world and like me, loves Percy Pigs. Welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you very much, Dale. I'm really looking forward to unravelling my multi-sensory toolkit today and giving some really good examples to help students learn. We've already recorded a podcast on multi-sensory teaching, okay. so strategies. We've done that before, and I think we're going to touch on some of the stuff we've already talked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this episode's one off of that. And... Um, Around me, um, you've brought a load of toys with you. There's uh-huh. a load of stuff all over the studio. And you've also got a suitcase labelled Dr. Susie Nyman's. Did you want to talk it on that oh, one? Oh, yes, it yes. is. Yes. So you've got lots of stuff with you, haven't you? I have. I thought I'd bring it today. And particularly my balloons, because I think it might sound quite nice on the podcast. Um, I suppose one thing, my initial response, and if you've, as I said in the intro, you teach sixth form. Yeah. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing silk cloths with various diagrams on. I'm seeing a football with writing, diner time, balloons. 
Percy Pigs, obviously. Lots of stuff that, to me, I wouldn't typically put in a college environment. You don't do typical, do you? No. No, I don't. <laughs> I like to think a bit out of the box. In fact, I never even sit in the box. I like to see how my students learn and encourage them and engage them. And actually, when they come back and see me 25 years later, they say, Susie, you taught me. I remember doing so and so. You know, you make a difference to those students' lives and maybe find a hook for them so that they can learn in the future and remember that information, um, particularly the scientific terminology that's really difficult to understand and remember. I suppose when we start with learning, it's, it's everything starts with the engagement. Mm-hmm. If they're not engaged, they're not going to learn. And there are children who won't be good at maths, but if you say we've got 90 minutes, we're in 77 minutes, they can work out a 30 minutes. They know. Actually, mm-hmm. they do can do maths, but they can do it in the context of their interest. They yeah. can do it in ways that they find interesting. And when they get to school, they don't see the purpose. They're not engaged. I think that engagement is a really big factor. And I think that's what multi-sensory brings, isn't it? If you're not engaged by a piece of text staring at you, let's do something else to make them engaged. And I taught a boy maths at the age of eight that was really struggling. And we did hundred tens and units and I made different shaped glasses. Hundreds had two circles on them. Tens had one, a monocle. Yep. And thousands had three and he had a big circle where his nose was. <laughs> and I said, which one is tens, hundreds, thousands? Which one is it? And he had to sit there and put the right glasses on. And we made a vest with all the information like grams and kilograms. I had a tie that he had with triangle, square, parallelogram, rectangle, and he'd wear this tie, you know. I made um, dominoes for him to learn how to do his um, times tables, and each week I'd give him a different set of dominoes, and by the end of the week he'd learnt his timetables, for example, twos, threes, fours, etc. And I made these sort of numbers with all these funny colours around the edge, and we used to play snap and adding up and taking away, and he got so confident with it. I taught him for about three months at home. I actually learnt the trumpet with his father when we were both seven together, so I did know the family well. And then in May, June time, um, his mother said something. He said, uh, Freddie's got something to tell you. And I said, oh, what's that? He said, I've got the best in maths badge for the week, Susie. And he was so proud. Wow. I taught him how to learn his maths. And we, we did such wild things. And the thing was that on the one of the last lessons, I walked into the kitchen where I used to teach him and there was a vest and the tie and the glasses and everything all over the ceiling and the walls, everything I'd used to teach him. And he was so proud to have all his clothes all over the wall, even though they were made out of sugar paper and stuff like that. I think it's part of it. Is, so some of it, you made that with him? Yeah. So you didn't just turn up and go, here, I've made it. You actually no, you made it together. And that's, I think, part of it because you're making it and it's where is this going to go and why are you making it and where we're putting this here. And I think that glasses idea is great because you are, yeah, two zeros is your normal glasses, oh, the yeah. 10 is the more. It makes, makes it often, but you're sitting there and you, you're visualising it, you're making the circles, so you know how many circles. There's a lot which goes in, which mm. goes in your memory, doesn't it? Mm. Whereas if you just looked at a book, and there's just all these squiggles on a page mm. that's not the most engaging you're not being able to visualize no 
Um, so it makes a really big difference taking it from something flat and boring on a page to actually something um, physical that you can visualise. And also the fact he made a monocle and turned it into a pair of glasses because by yeah, adding yeah, an yeah. extra zero, yeah, yeah. again, you're seeing that relationship mm-hmm. between those two. Mm-hmm. So a lot's going on there. And maths is one of those things. I love maths. I get maths. It's so obvious to me. But you get loads of people going, I don't get maths. Perhaps you do, but not in that way. Not in that way you've been taught it. Yeah, and and you find with maths that the student can't access the question, particularly dyslexic students. They can't access the question because they don't understand the language within the question. So you need to look at those words. What is the command verb? What are they asking me to do? How many? What, where, why, when, how, etc.? And decode that exam question in a way that student understands. And and one boy I worked with, and we did some maths at, at the oratory school, um, he had to do probability with a pack of cards, and he just couldn't do it. How many reds in, in a pack of cards, you know, red cards in the pack of cards. And what I had to do was I had to draw it out. I had to draw all those cards out in red and show him what they were. And once he could see them, he could then work it out. Once he could visualise it, he could then verbalise it. He could talk to me and tell me what it was all about. And, and that technique of doing that stems from when I went to school over 50 years ago. And that's where we were given grandmasters and, for example, Leonardo da Vinci. And we'd look at the picture for a few minutes. The teacher would tell us how big it was and um, when it was painted and we would look at that and we would visualise it and we would verbalise it. So we would look at that and then we'd talk about it. Now, that's really useful because you're looking in depth. What's in the foreground? What's in the background? How many people are there? You're doing maths, English, you're doing everything whilst looking at that picture. But that technique of actually visualising, verbalising, or observing and narrating really helps later on. Observing what that word is, for example, vena cava means small cave, going back to the Latin and Greek in science and then understanding it, just as I visualise and verbalise the picture, then I can visualise and verbalise a diagram and then all those words around it. So that technique I used at the age of two when I went to school of looking at an old master and then be able to visualise it or observe it and narrate it is what they called it before with the Charlotte Mason curriculum. I'm then, you know, 50 years later using that technique to teach science and it works. So you're saying you didn't invent multisensory teaching, you just stole it. (gasps) Oh, Susie. I think people have been doing (laughs) multisensory teaching for years. It's just I do it in a different way. I think people think of it, because you said it too, I think people think of it as a very young child thing. Yeah, yeah, they do. They think you only do it in in, in, um, nurseries and infant school, primary school. But there's no reason why you can't do it in a sixth form college and help all the students learn, because there's going to be students that learn in so many different ways. And it's like an onion. You start with the core material and then you build it up in the layers. And someone might not get that worksheet. They can't decode those words. They might need to go over and over and over again, in which case they need a key ring of all the key words. They might not be able to break the word down. And so you can take those words, for example, liver, and break them down into L, I, in yellow, and V, E, R, in pink. 
And then that student can visualise those different colours and remember those keywords. That's really important. It was about 35, 36 years ago that Pat Lindemood and Nancy Bell developed this system called Visualising and Verbalising for students to follow in order to teach them to read. And when I visited Lindemood Bell in London, in Notting Hill, it was Christina Patronis that showed me this picture of a snail and an ant. And they would look at that picture and then say, what's in the picture? How big is it? What's in the background? What's the grass doing? How big's the ant? What sort of sound do you think that ant's going to make? What sort of sound do you think that snail's going to make? So being able to visualise and verbalise pictures, you can then translate that into understanding science and visualising and verbalising the diagrams, but also the key terminology. What I want to say years ago, when, when I went to school, I went to a convent school and I was taught by nuns. They were really scary. And you went into the library and you would sit in this desk in front of Mother Claire. And she had these eyes that would beam at you all through the library. You wouldn't misbehave, you know, you wouldn't put chewing gum under the desk or anything like that. You know, you just wouldn't because Mother Claire was watching you. <laughs> and I would sit under there and, and I would be looking at this textbook and it was physics uh, physics I just find really hard and I thought oh my goodness I just don't understand it and if it wasn't the physics textbook the only other thing we had in the library all those years ago because I am really old was Encyclopedia Britannica oh. so you might find something in there yep but since then they've got these things called graphic novels that are novels that are cartoons so you can understand it and we've suddenly I mean, the computer has arrived, hasn't it? I mean, yes. when, when I was at school, it was punch cards. If you were really clever, you did computing. But all they had was these cards with punch holes on them. And, and I thought, I'm not doing any of that rubbish. So I remember sitting that library under Mother Claire with this book. And I thought, oh, I don't understand any of this stuff. And I went out and I found that there was this chap called Keith Johnson. And he wrote this book, Physics for You. And it was full of cartoons with Professor Messer. And he broke the words down and explained them in cartoons. And I thought that was really, really useful. Key takeaway number one today is for a child to find the book that they understand. So you might be given a textbook at school, but you don't understand any of it. The font might be too small, there's no pictures, and you just can't understand the subject. But Keith broke his books down to double page spreads, a nice font and lovely cartoons in there. And as dyslexic, if you don't understand the language, you might want to watch the video. You yeah. might want to listen to an audio book. You might even use a reader pen that you can then scroll across the word and it'll read it to you. You might like to look at a comic, such as Deco Comics. And I work with Oka and Oka have produced these books that are really clear to understand for the science we have to divide the page into four and then we put the minimum amount of content of language in there keywords i always put them in bold and an image a picture tells a thousand words yeah if you get a decent image that child can then conjure up in their brain oh that's that leaf that's what it does you know and you're sort of 
imagining this stuff, making those movies in your head, which is really, really important. I think with that visualisation is if I read a book on World War I and living in the trenches, I'll be going, right, what's a trench? Mm. What do you mean by a trench? Are you literally discussing it? And, you know, it's like a hole. You're like, right, so there's a hole here, yeah, and there's a hole there, yeah, and then they used to shoot at each other. And you're literally going, oh, it's something I was going, bang, bang. You're ducking around and go, bang, bang. It's like, no, it actually wasn't fun. And mm. until you actually saw pictures or paintings or video footage, mm. that's when your understanding of that situation arrived. When I actually looked at that and you saw the no man's land and the lack of trees or they were blasted apart and the bodies and things like that. That's when I started to sit there and go, oh, okay, this is, um, okay, I'm going to start to visualise. And when, when I read stuff, I can now, I use that picture to help me visualise what was going on, where were they, what were they doing. But I always needed a visual starter i needed something to start me off you do and you need to make that movie you need yeah. to make your own movie in your head and that's a problem with dyslexic students is that they might actually be making the wrong movie in their head when you're talking okay and the example i i have of this is i was going to school one day and i used to catch the bus to school to brentwood and um I cut across the school and I got across the traffic lights. And that afternoon, my biology teacher was talking about insects in amber. So there's me floating across, you know, imagining these other things. And she's talking about amber. I'm thinking, yeah, I got, quite, got over the road. It was an amber traffic light. Yeah. How did that insect get in the traffic light? Because my movie was all about traffic lights. And she's looking at me going, Susie, what's going on? I'm going, Miss... I just don't get how you got that insect in the traffic light. And she went, no, not amber traffic lights, amber the resin. How insects actually form in the resin. I'm going, oh, okay. So that was a classic example. What's amber resin? (laughs) Yeah. And and that's a classic example of where you've got completely the wrong movie in your head. And so you're off at a tangent going somewhere else. And that teacher is off on the insects in the amber and, and, and you just haven't a clue what she's talking about. So you've got to form, like your video, you've got to form the right movie as a dyslexic student in your head so yep. you can understand what the teacher's talking about. I found my cousin who's dyslexic. I was talking to him about a woolly jumper. Well, he saw that just as a sheep jumping up and down because it's woolly. <laughs> That's well, it how is. He says it. Or a woolly mammoth jumping up and down. What is it that that child has in their head? And how are you going to guide them and to be able to be in the right movie? Uh, it's one of the things, we have random conversations here, and um, that's contextualisation, isn't it? Mm. Is when mm. I say this, mm. within the context of where we are and things like that, you'd have a certain understanding. Yeah. And that really depends on your age. So mm. if you make a uh, Top Gun reference, yeah. you'd expect people over a certain age to get it, younger people yes. not. If you make other references, you make older people not to get it, but younger people too. But then you've got people who live in different parts of the world or live in different parts of the country, and you'll make a joke that everyone who grew up where you grew up mm. got. Or you'll say, so I grew up in Croydon, sadly, mm. and next to East Croydon Station is you've got the NLA Tower, mm-hmm. which was the threepenny bit building. Ah, oh, yes. 
I have no idea what a threepenny bit is, but that's what I was told it was. Yeah. So your post-decimalisation, yeah. And then when I'm like 20-something and I'm on the bus, I hear a little kid going to his mum, oh, it's the 50p building. <laughs> I was like, okay, is that worth more or less now? Yeah. I have no idea, but literally it's that, if I said threepenny bit, I'm just guessing it's a coin with lots of size, like a 20p or a 50p. Mm. That's as far as my knowledge of it mm. goes. But to my mum, it was a threepenny bit, and there's a reference there. And this child, if you said threepenny bit building, no idea. No. 50p building. Mm. So those things will change with time. And, yeah, I can really understand that. Start to make sure you've got the right story. Mm. When I said something about I was driving my car to future generations, it would be like what you were just sitting there and the car was driving. No, I actually had to do things. Or when you do this... Mm. What am I doing? If I'm sitting somewhere and I do that. Winding the window down. Winding the window down. Young yeah. person doesn't get that, do they? No. Wind the window down, that's just hold your finger here. Yeah, of course, because it's electric. So I had to wind the window down and they're looking at you going, what? So all this stuff adds to your context. When you mm. might sit there and reminisce and give you a story, you've got your movie. Mm. You're saying maybe 20% of it, your memory's filling in the 80%. Mm. But those students will be filling in a very different 80%. Yeah, and when I, when I spoke to this boy who was a performing arts student, we were talking about the Hollyleaf minor. I said, you know a minor? And he goes, yeah, the minor scale in music, because obviously he sings and all that. I said, no, a minor. And I had to explain to him that a minor is something that goes down like a, a slate miner or a coal miner, goes down, you know, into the mine shaft and digs for coal. And he went... Oh, I said, so the holly leaf miner mines in a leaf. And it had these three stages. No, it's not a minor scale. What a miner does, I mean, something that he could understand. And then the third step, relate it to the insect. And, you know, it was fascinating to see that. That was the first time I'd actually come across someone that had this same idea that I come across with me insects in amber. But holly leaf minor, I can see in the picture, you do have on the left a picture of a minor and a picture mm. of the leaf, and you've got the music scale, and mm. I'm going, what's a holly leaf minor? Is it some sort of music? I, I literally had no idea what it was. Yeah. So I would have gone anywhere with that. Exactly, and he did too. He went all over the place. But as soon as you know what it is, we, yeah. I'm doing a topic on this, and I'm talking about this, but if you're, you're a musician, yeah, or your <laughs> dad's a minor, yeah. you're in a music lesson. Let's talk about minor keys. Yeah. My dad doesn't have a key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has a pickaxe. This is what a minor key sounds like. Yeah. That's what? Uh, yeah, it's that your experience, their experience. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a really big thing. That's what, and again, the visuals right at the beginning help you focus on where you're supposed to be in your story. That's a, mm. that's a really good point. I think so. Yeah. One of the things with uh, the words and the symbols and the letters... When I started doing the chemistry with the boys, the periodic table, they just didn't get how it fitted together. So I bought a shower curtain from Amazon and I walked through it so that they could then remember the letters, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, fluorine, neon. And when we got to beryllium, it was really fascinating because I was working with a boy who was from Nigeria and he just didn't get what I was saying when I said beryllium. And so what I did, just like I've got here with the liver, I actually split the words with different coloured post-its so that he could remember it, so he could see it and understand it. I also used coloured tiles. I've got them on the floor down there. 
Um, I made the tiles in pottery and I would put L-I-T-H-I-U-M and then he could see it. Once he could see the word in different colours, he could then remember it. It was really interesting. Because you've, you've got to get the rhythm of a word. You have, yeah. So on previous podcasts, talk about the importance of nursery rhymes and learning the rhythm of words. So mm. you learn how it works. When you look at it, a word, you use that kind of the, what information you've got to learn how to say it. Brilliant. Yeah. Or you'll learn. Yum. You learn the sounds and you then go, I know that sound, I know that sound, I know that sound. Mm. It helps you attack that word. But if you don't have that knowledge, it's going to make it much harder it does, and particularly if you're working with students where English is a second language, you will have to break it down and show them how those words fit together. Here, we also had to make compounds in chemistry, like lithium chloride, and so I would have these call-out signs, and I'd put LI on one of them and CL on the other, and then they can join them together. So I put all the ions on one side, all the positive ions on one side. So there'll be cations, and I'll tell you how I remember that in a minute. And all the negative ones on the other side, we call them anions. And now I explain how I remember the word anion, cation. So I was working with a boy called Harry, and he said to me, oh, I can't remember this. And I said to him, how can you remember the word cation? And he said to me, Susie, it sounds like cat on an ironing board. So we drew a picture of a cat on an ironing board with a smiley face. And that's how we remembered it. Yeah, cat on an ironing board, smiley face, that's called a cation. So that's sodium plus magnesium, two plus. The, cat, the cat's also got a little uh, jumper on with a plus on. Yeah, it has. So it's more likely to remember it. However... Anions and negative ions. And in the cartoon I originally drew was Anna, who's in my team, chopping onions, because she's really scary. And so if she was if she was chopping onions and Anna was in front of you, you'd be crying. So they're negative ions such as chloride, bromide and iodide. So that's how one of the boys remembered those words in chemistry, was using that anion and cation. If you've got to remember other words, you might like to link them to food because everybody loves food. Yep. And here I've got the hamburger. And what you could do is you could link, for example, carbohydrates, fats and proteins, monosaccharides, disaccharides, polysaccharides. Break that bun down and say, OK, the bun is made up of starch. It's a polysaccharide. So you could actually assign questions to that piece of food. You could do the same with a cake, baking a cake. So you get carbohydrates and you could then break those words down and ask the child, what is flour? It's a carbohydrate. What is butter? It's a fat. What sort of butter is it? What sort of fat is it? It's a saturated fat because it's solid. There's your hook, S and S, saturated and solid, okay? Which one is protein? That's the eggs. So they're remembering that. They make the cake, they bake the cake, it comes out the oven, and as they eat it, you ask the questions again. What did you use to make your cake? 
yeah. flour, flour is carbohydrate, fats was the saturated fat, which is butter, and the protein were the eggs, and the sugar would be a disaccharide there. So you can use food to remember the words. You can attach questions to making something, whether it's a cake or eating a hamburger. Don't worry, everyone, there is no test on a disaccharide, a polysaccharide, or a monosaccharide. <laughs> Because I'm looking quite scared of that sheet. I was able to say it because she has the words on the separate colours. Yeah, I hope until, that helps. Until a minute ago, I had never heard of those words. Ah. <laughs> and the thing about, I mean, this leads into the digestion, doesn't it? You know, I've got the digestive system, Matt, on the floor here. She says, Matt, it is like a it's two like a by two cloth. metre tablecloth. Always go large in life. With... It all drawn out in different colours. Yeah, and, and then here you could use those different words and you can attach them to the digestive system. But something I really wanted to do for Dale today was to explain the words and how to remember them. Here I have a list of stickers. And what you can do is you could use your scanning pen and scan over those words so that you know what they are. But actually, I've put pictures there too. Yep. So that you can work out what it is. So we're starting here with the mouth. <laughs> okay, the mouth is the start digestive system. Currently, Dale is eating a Percy pig. The Percy pig goes into his mouth. Don't tell my wife. He produces <laughs> amylase to break down those sugars into maltose or starch into maltose okay so here is the mouth it's chemical and mechanical digestion the mechanical digestion is dale chewing the percy pig the chemical digestion is <laughs> it's the enzyme amylase converting starch to maltose there's my mouth okay that mouth forms a bolus or ball of food so these students could model this. You can put the stickers on as you go along. Here is the oesophagus. Because you can't remember how to spell it. Because the whole podcast is about words, isn't it? So I literally looked at that sheet, the word on that sheet, and I'm like, what is that word? I'm like, what has she written? And she's like, no, it is a word. It is a word. <laughs> so here we have the mouth. And linking from the mouth... We have the oesophagus or esophagus. And if you wanted, you could get your esophagus word from there. And then you can put it on the balloon. Okay, I'm just looking for a particular red coloured balloon in here. She has a lot of balloons. Always so large in life. It's the family motto. Um, there we go. Here we go. Obviously not all balloons are created equal. <coughs> there's quite a range of balloons oh, in there. Oh, we've got in this packet, we've got a very nice red one. That's all right. That's good. I'm quite disappointed now. It just looks like a normal red round balloon. <laughs> it does. I was expecting something really impressive. Well, I do have a heart shaped one in I there. I saw that. But I can get that out later. There we go. So here's, here's the stomach, okay? Yep. The stomach is normally J-shaped. The stomach is really important because it produces acid, okay? Not expecting you to be a raver. <laughs> yes, so acid. That acid is hydrochloric acid, and it's really good for killing pathogens, bacteria, virus, and fungi, and it contains 
the enzyme pepsin in there, which breaks down protein into polypeptides. So there's the stomach, the red stomach there. Now, what I'm going to make next is it starts with L and rhymes with quiver. Hmm. Could that be a liver? Oh, you are so there, Dale. You are so there. Oh, look, it's a green one. You never know what's going to come out. There we go. So there's the liver. Normally do it brown, to be honest. But we've got a green one today. You can't tell with the dark balloons. Okay, so here's the liver. Generally triangular shaped. Okay. So that's going to sit here. Liver's really important because it detoxifies substances. So when these students go out on a Friday night and they have a few beers or whatever it they have. Just to be clear, college students. Yes. Um... <laughs> Then it's their liver that detoxifies the alcohol. Now, the liver also produces bile, and that bile is stored in the gallbladder. And the gallbladder I normally do as a little green balloon. So I'm just looking in here for a small, sorry, there's balloons going everywhere. Literally looks like being a, uh, a clown has a car crash in here now. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I can't find a green balloon. Oh, here's one, this one. Here's one I prepared earlier. Uh, here's a little green balloon we're going to have. It's, it's a, a teal. It's a teal. Yeah, it's a teal. So that's a lovely gallbladder green. Now, my friend is going to knit me the digestive system 11 metres mouth to anus. And I couldn't find gallbladder green, so I went to a charity shop in North Cam and said, excuse me, madam, can you furnish me with gallbladder green? And she said, certainly, we have some under the counter there. So we have gallbladder there, gallbladder green, that's where we store the bile. Okay, here it's just, we... a, it's just somebody, you want really to be careful when you phone them. How yes. are you? I'm good. What are you up to? I'm just finishing off the anus. <laughs> I'll wait for that one, boy. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Here we have the pancreas. Pancreas is really important. Produces bicarbonate, which actually neutralises the acid from the stomach. And it produces enzymes easily. Carbohydrates, which uh, break down carbohydrates. Lipases, which break down lipids. And proteases, which break down proteins. It also produces insulin, which is really important for diabetics. Insulin converts glucose to glycogen and then glycogen is converted back to glucose using the hormone glucagon. Okay, so we've got the pancreas there. We're now going to get the small intestine. Small intestine here, a narrower diameter. And in here, we have specialised structures called villi. Um, my, <laughs> my son had this, this teacher from Yorkshire and um, every time they went for a lesson they used to try and get a, every lesson even if it was about the leaf to say the word villi because they just cracked them up laughing so this has structures called villi so that increases the surface area for maximum reabsorption you produce more enzymes in here to break down the food further and then finally the problem is now 
that I have so many balloons on the desk, I can't find my colon. Wait a minute. That's not a thing I normally hear in, in, in everyday life. She's found her colon. Uh, here we go. I've just found it. This would be the large intestine. So for the large intestine, you have the colon, the rectum, and the anus. Now, when we made the video for the BDA, the girl that had the bit that had to say anus, we had to take it five times and the chap at the camera behind the camera says Susie this girl can't say the word anus she keeps laughing why is it so funny so here we go here's the large intestine you can see that it is larger in diameter than the small intestine and on this bit you'll have the colon the rectum and the anus but the latin teacher told me the anus means a woman in latin there we go <laughs> so every time you look at your mother-in-law you'll have these visions won't you i thought you'd enjoy that so we'll start from the balloons here we've got if i ever call my mum an anus <laughs> you can all blame susie <laughs> so here we've got the mouth digest the food we go starch to malta. So we've got the esophagus. Bolus of food goes from the mouth to the stomach. The stomach produces acid and pepsin to break down the proteins, the polypeptides. We've got the liver, produces bile, is stored in the gallbladder. We've got the pancreas, really important for um, producing bicarbonate to neutralize the acid. We've produces enzymes, insulin, glucagon, etc. We've got the small intestine which has a villi in there, which are really good for reabsorbing substances and have lots of enzymes there to break the food down further. And the large intestine is used for reabsorption of water and formation of feces. So colon, rectum, and at the end, anus. And on the floor, I actually have a very nice silk mat with the whole of the digestive system in. Um, I will be adding a photo of um, Susie's <laughs> anus. Susie in action. <laughs> Susie in action. Susie in action. Um, so what I've, I've taken a couple of photos as she's made that, and I'll be putting that up on the website so you can have a look at what I've just witnessed. <laughs> I told you I had to bring the kit with me. It was no use just keeping it in the car or under my desk. So what do you do on today's podcast? Blowing up balloons? Making animals? No. Making... Um, Body parts. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. But it works because you sit there and you can visualise it. As you're talking through it, you are thinking about each stage. You are, and you're getting those students familiar with the words. If they can't remember them, you've got them on stickers, you can stick them on the balloons, and you can use your scanning pin to go over it. If you can't read the words, we can break the words down as much as you like with post-it notes. And also here, what I've got is a model. I used to do pottery because the lady next door to me in Oxfordshire, she used to have a kiln, they used to go every Friday. But the problem was that my sister would phone up and say, Susie, the family don't need any more of your etchings, thank you very much. Uh, but she would say this really loud while I'm sitting amongst all the other ladies, and they could hear her. And I said, oh, okay, I just make red blood cells or something like that. And here I've made the digestive system. You can see the esophagus, the J-shaped stomach, you can actually feel it, the triangular-shaped liver, 
the gallbladder, the pancreas that's leaf-shaped, the small intestine, the large intestine, colon, rectum and anus there. But what you might like to do is actually test the students with a football. I'm just going to throw this to Dale and so, and then he can throw it back to me. And so wherever you catch it, here on your left thumb, describe the function of the small intestine. And when we played this game so that's with the, the student... Valley. Is that yeah. right? Sorry? The valley. The valley. The valley. Yeah. When, when, we, when we played this game um, for one of the exams the students did, she went up from 28 to 52% in about half an hour because we wrote all the past exam questions on there. This is only a few questions on the one I've got today. But with the boys at the oratory, I wrote four years of past papers for GCSE Biology. And the night before, we threw the ball around the table and tested them over and over again on the key topics. It's really good. Boys love footballs, don't they? It is. And also, I find, sit there, I, I don't do revision. Not the greatest thing in life. It's really boring. Getting cards out, it's boring. But if you just turn it a bit more fun... It makes it more interesting. You mm. just get that ball out. You've got to catch a ball. So there's a bit of fun. You get to throw the ball at someone's head and things like that. But as you throw it, as you catch it, you've got to answer that question. Mm. So adding that fun, adding that extra element um, keeps you more interested and engaged in what you're doing, which means you're going to be joining in and thinking about it much more than if you're just sitting there bored out of your mind with those cards going, yeah, blah, blah. You're not going to be really concentrating. So I think adding that extra sensory input Mm. makes so much sense what i find is with these systems that the students don't remember the sequence of the words and so over in the corner there i've got a very nice heart hanging there heart diagram and so what would happen would be that the students would walk through it and so we've got the word vena cava here and you'd put that at the top that's the a vein that receives the deoxygenated blood from the rest of the body. So you can give them a blue card with vena cava on. They can look at the spelling. You could put that in post-it notes if you wanted to make it coloured or use different colour pens. Then we've got right atrium. Atrium was the biggest room in the Roman house. I'm remembering this from the last one, yes. Yeah, so you can actually get them to visualise. That's really big there. Uh, we've got the tricuspid valve, as you know, in Sainsbury's over the road. You try before you buy. Yeah. The right ventricle, A before V, and you can put that down. The semilunar valve, and then we go up to the pulmonary artery. The blood is then oxygenated in the lungs. So it's now changed colour. It has. It's now changed colour to a pink card. It goes into the pulmonary veins, which is pink. It goes into the left atrium, and you do it as if you're lying in the page. It's opposite on the diagram. As I said, when we go to Sainsbury's over the road at the Meadows, you try before you buy. So that's bicuspid valve. The left ventricle, there is a semilunar valve. Sometimes you call it the aortic valve. And then the aorta, which is the biggest artery in the body. And so those students are feeling those words. They're touching them. They're using them. They're talking them. They're walking them. And that's how they can remember them. And these words, a lot of these words come from Latin or Greek. And if you know the Latin or Greek, if you're taught Latin, as I was, not for very long at school by the nuns, then some of those words stick in your head. Stoma means mouth. 
So stomata on the underside of the leaf are like little mouths. Okay? Okay. I said to you, vena cava, cava means cave. Atrium, the biggest room in the Roman house. You can then link those words, put in that video that you're making, that movie, to remember mm. those words. And it was a boy in curriculum support, as I said to you in the last podcast, that walked through that heart five times, and then he remembered it. But Jenny at college did the same thing, and then she remembered it. So how old is that diagram of the heart? This one I made when I went to the Learning Differences Convention in 2017 in Melbourne, Sydney, in Australia. I had one before that, but that was lighter because it's the satin material. So how, how long have you been using that diagram for, that sort of that walking through the heart? Probably about 2014, 15. Okay. And for you, I suppose, students, it's, it's, again, it's made a big difference visualising, hasn't it? It has. It really does. And, and, and getting them confident with those key words. Because the only two things, there's three things I remembered from the last podcast. Um, try before you buy. Yeah. The atrium. Mm. And something about turning right at a valve or something. You turn right or something. I think it's because you're you're lying in the page, so you have the right side and the left side. I think it was yeah. So something in there about you yeah, turning right, right or that. The, yeah. yeah. But as a few, that thing, and that was ages ago. I'm really not interested in the workings of a heart. No. But those bits are stuck in, and the other one which I remember was hypo and hyper. And I remember po is it's a smelly wee. You haven't got enough liquid. Oh, I need a wee. And and ah yeah. was the yeah. I needed a wee. So there's too yeah. much water. So yeah, yeah. two useful ways of remembering yeah. hypo and, and hyper. hyper. Yeah, hypo is when oh I need a wee, like you're in the pub and you've drunk. It's the other way around. You've drunk oh. too much. And hyper is when you're in the desert and it's smelly wee. See, yeah. I remembered it wrongly. So that's really yeah, um, so not you have to, great. Yeah, just remember oh is in the pub, and then you'll remember it. Oh is in the pub. Yeah. Okay. Um, here I've got the lungs. I've got a diagram down there on the floor of the lungs. It's another satin collection, but you could put the words down on that. But, you know, you can go in any toy shop and buy these water balloons and they look like the lungs. So Susie's got, um, you can get like a load of water balloons on sticks. So you put yeah. it onto your tap, you can blow them all up in one go and she's now blowing them all up going purple um <laughs> and the idea is they expand it's not just one thing that's expanding yeah, it's, it's all the alveoli in the lungs they will be the alveoli in the lungs i wanted to represent this because students get confused between the esophagus which we've just made out of balloons and the trachea and the trachea is like a washing machine hose it's got c-rings of cartilage on it so a student could make this out of Play-Doh. And if you're looking at remembering the words, you, you make it out of Play-Doh and then you put it on a whiteboard and then you use a board marker to label those words, okay? Then you can check the spelling. But the big thing is that they get mixed up between the two, between the trachea and the esophagus I've made on the floor. But I was in Drew's in Reading one day and I thought... I'd like to demonstrate this to the students. So I walked in and I said to the man behind the counter, excuse me, please. I wonder if you can help me. I would like to buy a washing machine hose, a wide tube and a pair of balloons. He said, oh, of course, madam. Let's go over here. What do you want that for? 
And I said, well, I'd like to make, you know, a model of the of the lungs, of the trachea, bronchus, bronchioles and alveoli. Goes, of course, madam. So I made it. And if you blow down here, if it works, it will blow up the balloons. Hang on. There you go. So the balloons just blew up there. The thing is, I'm in the swimming pool the next morning and this woman goes, do you know what? We're doing the lungs at the brownies. Have you got any good ideas? I said, yeah, go into Drew's and ask for a washing machine hose, a wire tube and a pair of balloons. So this lady goes in and the man behind the counter goes, would you believe it? We only had someone come in yesterday asking for the same thing. I can express in the first time he's going, what? Okay. Really weird, but okay. Then the next person comes in. What? This makes no sense. But it does visualising it. Yeah, and 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 a, and a teacher, um, another teacher was in the changing room at the same time. She said, "Oh, we're doing about the lungs and 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 the Olympics and everything." I thought, I think I'll nip into Drews and get a washing machine, nose, a wide tube, and a pair of balloons. So, what is the difference between your esophagus and a trachea? So, the esophagus is the tube that goes from your mouth into your stomach the trachea is the tube that goes from your mouth into your lungs so that's if you got the um i'm gonna say the see i'm actually i'm opposite susie and i'm gonna say the flappy bit which controls it that'll be the one yeah the flappy the, bit that's the yeah, technical term now yeah yeah so what is it actually called epiglottis yes yeah it's just the tip of my tongue mm. not um but it is it's visualizing those things it's it's you've got to sit there and say I suppose it's when you say, have you ever taken a mouthful of water and choked? Yeah. And they, everyone can generally relate to that. And that's because you've got these two tubes that went down the wrong oh, one. Yeah, yeah. And it's using just things like that. Again, makes people realise there isn't just one thing going down. There is mm. a split and there's two of them. Mm. Um, so again, you're using that, that multi-sensor of them choking mm. as a learning experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, my example here in front of me was when um, one of the boys came up. Oh, I just had a test on the loaf. I said, have you? I don't understand any of it. I said, oh, okay. So we made it out of funky foam. That funky foam in the room as you do. So I just made it out of funky foam, all the different cells of the leaf, and we put it all together. And I just nipped round, swung by the co-op on the way in, as you do. As you do. And um, I got loads of biscuits, and I had the chocolate fingers for the cuticle, and then I got those custard creams with the upper epidermis, and shortbread biscuits with a palisade layer, and then we had chocolate chip cookies, my son's favourite, spongy layer, lower epidermis, more custard creams, and then more cuticle at the bottom with the chocolate um, fingers. And then we did that. We did it many, many different ways. And I said, oh, it's break time. You can take the biscuits with you and share them with the boys. He was delighted. And he remembered it because he ate his way through biology. And I got him to label them. And then he labelled them, got the right spelling, take a photo. Or you can take your photo out. They love stroking their phone. So take the photo out, take a photo of it. And he remembered it. It's amazing. I think visualising, that's one of the things you forget when you're doing something at work and you're learning it. Generally, you're learning because you're doing it. Yeah. So there's lots of things you're learning because you're doing it. If you're mm. learning how to do something at home, it's generally because you're doing it and you're looking at it and you can visualise. When it says do this, you're doing it. Generally, when you're in school, it's all theory. Yeah. It's all 
you're talking about it and you don't really get the point of it. Why am I learning about angles and maths and ladders? I'm You generally, you're just not really putting it into a practical situation. And I read a book, um, it was last summer, I read a book about, um, it was all about different types of learning and um, various knowledge or is it better to learn knowledge or um, skills? And interesting that it, I quite agree with it. People talk about different types of learners. I'm a visual learner. I'm an auditory learner. I'm a kinesthetic learner. And one of the things that's just is, is it's not really like that. No. What there are is there's different topics are different types of learners. So if you're learning about making a cake, mm-hmm. you're going to go and make a cake. Yeah. You're not going to read about it in a book. Mm-hmm. So certain things, you'll le- it's much better to learn by doing, mm-hmm. others by listening, others mm-hmm. by seeing. Mm-hmm. So it's not a person is a type of learner, it's a, a topic or a subject. Mm-hmm. So if, if you are struggling with a topic in school, you don't know how do I deliver this, try and think how can we see it, how can, we list, how can they listen, how can they do it. And that's a lot of what everything you're doing, Susie, is the doing part, isn't it? Yeah. Is actually, yeah, let's turn it from a diagram in a book, which you're literally going, I don't get what that looks like, what's the point of it, is to actually biscuits. So we all get biscuits. We all love biscuits. But mm-hmm. turning it into a physical thing where you're lining it all up and you're explaining why that's there and the connection between that and that and what that does will make so much more sense. Yeah, and if you want to look at the blood flow through the heart, you know, you might have a colour-coded diagram of the heart in blue and red. Go and get some M&Ms. And if you're going to London, why wouldn't you go to the M&M shop in Leicester Square? <laughs> and then you can get blue and red ones. You can actually get colour-coded. Yep. Blue M&Ms and, and red M&Ms and use those to show the blood flow through the heart. And then afterwards, they love to play the weakest link. And you ask them a question. What is the biggest artery coming out of the heart, providing oxygenated blood to the body? And you give them the board and they have to write it down. You go, turn your board so far. And they put them up. And it says pulmonary artery instead of aorta. I said, quickly put it down and scrub it out and write aorta. Then they write it down. And after two or three attempts at the same question, they get the right spelling and the right answer. And they all flick the board up. And they're so excited. And I've got a picture here that the artist has drawn for me of my class um, doing that. And some of them hide behind the board, as you can see here. Yeah. Some are proudly showing it. Some have it on their chest, you know. Um, and it's quite interesting to see what they do. But they love playing that game. And if you make it fun, they'll all join in. Uh, it's, it's quite a great fun way of doing a little test without having to do oh, marking. Because yeah. especially if, you, if you're all facing forward and you hold it up and you, you literally can literally see, without even calling out, you can literally see, okay, she's got it wrong again. Okay, she's got it wrong. Without even drawing attention to it. That's right. You can just see that that child's a bit struggling, and maybe the last one. So you literally you can get a lot of visual information back just mm. by asking the questions and watching how they're doing. Who's confidently going, "Yep," and getting it completely wrong? Mm. Who's confidently doing it and just looking a bit smug? They got it right, and who is just a bit really unsure? It'll give you a lot of information back rather than just them writing it all down and then just waiting for the next one. Mm. It's waiting for them. Who's got that board ready? It's I quite like that, and they remember it because they were part of the show, if you like. They're part of the fun and then they'll try again next time. I mean, sometimes we make models and um, 
many years ago, and this is quite interesting with the language, uh, we had a blind girl and we made the cell out of walnuts and, um, you know, lentils and bulgur wheat and everything sweets. And then we sealed it with PVA glue. And we had strings coming off each each part of the cell, such as the nucleus or the mitochondrion or something like that. And then on that string, we had a piece of Braille so that blind girl could come up, feel what that word was, follow the string around, and then feel what that structure might look like, what that organelle might look like. For example, a nucleus or an endoplasmic reticulum. And also find the position of it. So yeah, that's there. Okay, what's this? Okay, this is a big chunky thing. What's this? Yeah. Ah, it's a nucleus. Okay. It helps them sort of see the order yeah, or yeah. visualise. Yeah, so it's not only for people that can see. You could also use it for people who are visually impaired or even blind, which is really, really nice. And um, the diagram of the cell is an actual diagram that one of our students made in, in my Monster Century Toolkit. Um, and I'm really proud of that because it came out really, really clear. And you can put toothpicks into the structures if it's Play-Doh and then put a little sign with stickers on the top or you could type them or do whatever you like, really. I do like it because it is. It's, I think back to things I did at primary school that I really enjoyed generally, a lot of stuff involved making. Mm. Because you're turning what you've learned, and you're trying to—it's a bit. It's always a bit of a competition when you're making stuff as well. Yeah. Um, but it's a chance for you to sit there and show your understanding. And if you don't have an understanding, your teacher can come along and, go and ask questions, and rather than just saying that's wrong, you can go, well, "Why have you put that there?" Because it's this. Mm-hmm. One. Yeah, but that is linked to this, and you can—they can help visualize. Actually, you've got that order wrong. That goes there. This goes there. Rather than just having it as a diagram, mm. you're moving things around and then it, thinking about the flow. Yeah, that's right. And and I think having those key words, checking the spelling, checking the understanding, walk the walk, talk the talk. So they're making it in pairs and one's explaining to the other one what it is. And it cements that information, you know, if, if you're discussing that sequence through the digestive system, for example, and explain it to someone else, you're more likely to remember it. Because you've got, in all science, have you had those um, those semi-mannequins with all the organs which fall out as you walk past them? The order you put them in is not the order they go through, is it? You actually almost almost put them in the... It goes into the correct positions. Yeah, in in the body, you can't... So you're not actually going, let's do this first, then it goes... Well, actually, I had to put that in... So kind of doing that doesn't make sense. So doing it with your diagrams where you're actually going through the flow, not the sequence where it has to, it fits in the body from Mm. front to back. Mm. Actually the sequence it goes through Mm -hmm. makes much more sense. Mm. And placing those cards down, the student reading that card, if it's the heart, you've got it colour coded for the heart, red or pink and blue. If it's digestive system, my digestive cards are all different colours depending on what you're putting it down on. I've got one for the leaf um, and, and the and the actual flower and they're colour coded with pink and blue for the male and female part and the boys can or the girls can then put that down on wherever it goes. And it's this sort of doing it, feel it, touch it, taste it, smell it, etc. They'll remember it better. There was a diagram of the brain and, and my students just couldn't remember it at all. And they had the keywords and they had to keep practicing the keywords over and over again. 
they just didn't know where to put it. And so we made a laminated diagram of the brain in colour. We took the labels off and then I gave them Play-Doh and I gave them aromatherapy oils. And they added those oils to the Play-Doh. For example, mint was medulla, cloves were cortex. And they smelt that Play-Doh and they moulded it into the shape. And then they wrote the words down on the laminated sheet of paper. Check the spelling. And that afternoon they had an exam question in the exam on the brain and they remembered it. And up until then they couldn't remember it. And it was a last ditch attempt to try and get them to remember it. And they did. Wow. Because they took ownership from their own learning I think rather it, than learning by osmosis. And I suppose the other thing is if you're learning in adult life, you learn something because you need it. Mm. When you're in school, you're learning something because you're told to. Mm. Not because you want to, not because you get any mm. benefit in your life. It might be, you might be going off and using that in future life. But a lot of children, the order of the heart or the digestive system, mm. long term in their life isn't top priority mm. but they've got to learn it for the exam That's so right. you've already on the losing point that this isn't going to be hugely useful for them in later life mm. so they're going to be questioning why am i doing this so you've got to get that engagement by doing it a different way in adult life if they want to learn something they want to pay a rise if they want to get a new job if they want to learn this or progress or do stuff or learn a new hobby they're going to put the time in because they want to but at school they're there because they have to and there's a syllabus and it has to be followed. And they have to be followed. And even going into science, you might be doing biology, but there's so many different areas within biology that some of the stuff you've learned, you really have no interest in and you're not ever going to use again. Other stuff, this is my favourite area. and But you kind of, at certain levels, you have to do all of it until you get to the point you can really specialise. Mm. So, yeah, it is for children learning for the sake of learning. It sounds wrong saying that, but with exams and stuff, you've got to get that engagement there. You have. And, and Dales has kindly left me the last Percy pig on the table. I have. So I'm just going to steal it because my next thing that I'm going to speak about is enzymes. Enzymes, biological catalysts, speed up reactions without the enzyme being used itself. So here, Percy pig, sorry Dale, is going to be dismembered. He she, is going to lose an ear. She's enjoying this too much. So Percy Pig could be the enzyme, right? And that substrate fits on a specific place on that enzyme, okay? That place is called the active site. I have never dismembered a Percy Pig to actually discuss enzymes, biological catalysts, that that substrate is specific for that active site. It acts in a lock and key mechanism there. And the other side, if you actually put another like cyanide compound there on the other ear, that would act as an inhibitor and the enzyme wouldn't be able to work. So today, we've not only eaten the Percy pigs, we've also used them to explain enzymes. She's just made that whole story up so she can eat the last Percy pig. That's just... Of course! I'm quite upset. Oh. Um, we've gone over again. Have we gone over again, we, Dale? I think we always will. Oh, my goodness. There's so much you could say, but I think we've had a good flavour. 
<laughs> today we've had a good flavour with Percy Pigs. We've used the heart. We've used balloons. We've used walking digestive systems. We've used the respiratory system. You've blown balloons up. We have. We have. And it is. It is. Science isn't that interesting. Well, I think parts of science are really interesting. Human body generally isn't. And so my engagement is is low in this topic, yeah. but just watching you go through it, it I learn from it. Mm-hmm. The engagement, whether I want it to or not, mm. is the way you teach it, the engagement is there. So even as a reluctant person who doesn't interest in the heart, your the atrium was there. Mm. The try before you buy it was there from mm. last time. So it's going in whether I want it to or not. That's really good. And one girl came out and she said, We've blown up the balloon, we squeezed it, we've walked in the heart, we've sung the key words to Michael Jackson's Beat It, we've walked round it, we've done everything. And I know how it works, but we never did any work. But you did. You did it in a different way. And what's really important, the last thing for me to say is, when you believe you can achieve. So if that student in their head can believe in themselves that they can do it and they learn in a way that they understand, then they will achieve and they'll get really good results. And learning shouldn't have to feel like work. Mm. It can be fun. It can be done through Percy Pigs. Obviously, uh, other pigs are available, Mm. but Percy Pigs are the best and the originals are the best. Had that that discussion in the shop yesterday. I'll go for the originals, I'll go for the fizzies, I'll go for the others. Percy Pig, just plain and simple, normal Percy Pigs. Brilliant. Thank you again, Susie. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed this session. So pleased I brought my toys with me today. I had no idea when when Susie turned up today. I, I thought she might have a bag with her. No, she's got a suitcase, she's got metal cases. It took a couple of trips to get into the office. <laughs> I'm thinking she knows this is an audio podcast. I don't <laughs> see any of this. Hopefully, and that's the thing, it is... Susie puts a lot of effort in, mm. but what Susie puts in, the students get out. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. So if you've got children who are struggling, it might take a bit more to reach them. Not keep repeating the same thing. Let's try a different way of reaching them. Let's try something else. And a simple way of just, um, weakest link, a simple way of replicating that is using stuff like Kahoot. mm Mm. Kahoot is a really simple free tool you can use. There's lots of pre-made quizzes you can make your own. No idea about licensing. There's a free version. There's a paid version. Phones in some schools now seem to be accepted because mm. tech has saved schools over mm. the last year, which I think is perfect. And the fact that my daughter is allowed to use Kahoot in lessons and they all put their own name in, although if, as soon as they put a rude name in or a silly name, they get kicked off. They're not allowed to be part of that. Um, they put their names in. And then they all play these games and it's all about beating your friends and who did this. But the, the teacher gets to see how quickly children responded. It, it takes that learning fun. And if you want to do well, you will do part of it. And it's that conversation. So just, again, taking it away from that traditional style of mm. learning by looking at books and write, this, write down what's on the board and moving away from that to actually what works. What works for your children? Because generally... What everyone's hoping for is not that they're obedient children, they're educated children. Mm-hmm. They are able to go through those exams and tests with confidence. Mm-hmm. If that means for your children that actually sitting there doing this topic this way, that works for you, great. 
But actually, if you're going, I'm not sure this is working, perhaps try a different way. Mm-hmm. It might be more mayhem singing um, songs in your classroom, or it might be uh, the popcorn smells coming out, or, <laughs> um, or different things. But if your lesson becomes talked about around the school because you did this and other children are looking forward to it, they're going to get they're going to get something out of that lesson, whether they want to or not. If they're looking forward to this random lesson with Dr. Susie Nyman about the body and she's going to blow up balloons, whether you like it or not, that information is going to go into their heads. And they remember it. And, and they, they remember it. And they come back 20 years later and say, I remember you. You taught me so-and-so. And that's what you want. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's what you want. Them to learn and understand and use that and remember that impact on them. Because mm. going back to a previous podcast is that putting more effort in for children is that act of random kindness that they mm. will feel that somebody made an extra effort for me and they will pass that on. Yeah. It's brilliant. Thank you. So thank you, Susie, again. Thank you for everyone else listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across the different podcast platform on our website. Please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at the Sendcast, and on Facebook and Instagram, we are the Sendcast. And please use social media to say how amazing um, Susie's balloons are. <laughs> Great fun. Um, and before we go, I'll just like to check out what we do here at B Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Trainer for Education. You will find a number of our guests, our speakers at our virtual send conferences, or they have recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. The biggest thing about all staff, not just the Senko, all staff should get training around SEND. Visit www.trainingforeducation for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment product. This is what B-Squad is famous for. This is what we're known for. This is how we started. Helping schools to show the small sets of progress pupils with SEND make. We cover a huge range from early years to post-16 and preparing for adulthood. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from the balloons and Percy. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye.